Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Retailistic. It's Andrew Smith here. Deborah is of course out in the ether somewhere doing something awesome, so you're stuck with just me this week. But don't panic, because I've got some guests here. We have Ashley Coates and Ned Hayes from Snowshoe coming to join us to chat all things personalization. We're going to get into sustainability, of course, probably the metaverse, live streaming and everything in between. I'm super excited for our chat today. Ned uh, and Ashley are co-hosts for the nationally acclaimed show Spark Plug. I highly recommend uh, you do subscribe and listen in. It too is a weekly podcast about the intersection of retail and technology. Um, Spark Plug has been listed as one of the top 25 business podcasts about retail and has uh, hosted everyone from CNBC commentators to best-selling business authors to local retailers talking about innovation in their storefronts and in their retail districts. I love and adore the fact that that's their scope. Spark Plug is in its third season. Wow, that's an impressive little run too. Uh, We're catching though. Uh, and is acclaimed for hosting innovators across four continents. Very exciting. So sparkplug.audio is where you can find their show. Uh, and then Ashley and Ned. Ashley Coates is the director of revenue for Snowshoe, uh, where she manages both marketing and sales at the award-winning retail solutions startup. Ashley has national experience in sales and marketing uh, and comes from a retail uh, pedigree too, I imagine, working on both the agency and client side in several sectors, including technology, retail, the arts, and healthcare. And Ned is the CEO of Snowshoe, a retail solutions company that focuses on loyalty and customer engagement. Ned has previously been a principal partner at a venture capital firm and has served as a senior manager for high growth companies such as Intel, Microsoft, Adobe, Xerox, Park. He's also a best-selling author with books published in 12 languages. That's impressive. Uh, So please welcome my guests, Ashley and Ned. So I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm uh, I'm 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 genuinely very nerdily excited for this chat. But before I get into it, um, I love to ask people what their retail story is. You know, retail is one of those um, careers that uh, is often accidental, as my good friend Rod Thurston would always say. Um, but you're always rewarding. What brought you into the space? What uh, dragged you into retail as a sector? Uh, let's start with Ashley. Sure. Uh- Well, I worked at a retail shop, a boutique uh, in Portland, Oregon, where I live when I was in high school, which was a lot of fun for me. I've said before to people that I think everyone should have experience in either retail or the food service industry. I think it gives you (laughs) a good appreciation for those industries and good practice at how to treat people. Uh, in the future, who work in those industries? I love that, and I, I've I've worked in both, so I don't know if that helped. That must I got I double dipped. Um, but you're so right though, because like when you are, like you learn how to ask great questions, you learn how to be curious to different people's perspectives of certain different situations, etc. It's such a cool way to learn those soft skills, isn't it? That's very very cool. Yeah, it's frontline customer service, which can just serve you in any career. Um, So yeah, I worked at a boutique shop in high school and continued through college. So that was kind of my first foray into retail. Um, And then I studied um, marketing and advertising, which has really been my entire career. Um, And this is actually my first time bringing that marketing background into a retail space, working with Ned and the rest of the team at Snowshoe. Um, Prior to this, I did a lot of marketing for the arts and nonprofits and um, more service-oriented um, companies and clients. So this is my first time really marketing a product, which is pretty exciting. Oh, I love that, and I, mean, I want I'd, I'd love to dive into that history, but we don't have we don't have enough time to get into all of it, do we? But uh, especially that nonprofit stuff, I think that's such an interesting sector. I've recently got to have a chance to to support some companies in that space. It's so different. It's so fascinating. Ned, what what about you? What brings you energy? 
Sure. Well, there are a number of questions there. A lot of things bring me energy, including storytelling. But uh, with retail, um, I started my retail career working for Penguin's Frozen Yogurt and for Baskin Robbins in Southern California. And enjoyed delicious. The heck out what of a it. delicious combination. It was. And I'm really <laughs> happy that Snowshoe now uh, has Baskin Robbins franchises that are using us and, and our technology because it kind of comes full circle. Uh, but during my tech career, I've, I've worked with a number of retail companies. I worked with uh, Joe Jensen at Intel Retail and uh, powered some great innovations by Levi Strauss and a number of other retailers who were using Intel technology. And so that's part of the reason I took over Snowshoe and launched the Sparkplug podcast, because we really wanted to tell retail stories. I think it's so important to get those stories out there and to be able to tell about an industry that's often kind of overlooked. And it's really fascinating. I mean, this is where the rubber hits the road in terms of real human beings interacting with each other. I think that's really, really a great place to be. I love oh Man, I'm surrounded by equal retail nerds. This is the perfect conversation. <laughs> um, I, other than having an awesome name, Snowshoe and Sparkplug, um, tell me about them. I don't, I, 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 the podcast is excellent. I've listened to the last couple of episodes of, you know, I'm, I'm, I know that Deborah was a guest on you on your show recently as well. Um, tell me about uh, tell me about Snowshoe and uh, uh, in fact, you know what? I'm going to divvy divvy the jobs up. Ned, you tell me about Snowshoe and Ashley, you tell me about Sparkplug. Let's start with you, Ned. Sure. Uh, well, Snowshoe has been around for almost ten years, and for a number of years, we actually delivered technology that required a retailer to build their own system. So we worked with Shell, we worked with Red Bull, we worked with um, um, Merkel and National Hotels but they all had IT teams who could build their own software. And just in the last, uh, the, the last two years, uh, Snowshoe built our complete stack for retailers and began to uh, sell a complete end-to-end -end solution so that small retailers could use the same enterprise-class software and back-end that the big people like Shell and Red Bull had used. And we've received a marvelous re response from that. So we really have product market fit now, and we have uh, thousands of retailers using this. That's so cool. I'm always a big fan. I go on rants constantly, which I undoubtedly will today, about like the complexity in the tech space for retailers, especially those smaller brands. You know, you go to an NRF Expo floor or a Shop Talk Expo floor and just freak out by this. You know, the sheer breadth of what's out there, and not only that, the depth within each of those sectors. Then, and you've kind of it becomes like almost this mission impossible space of trying to choose what the right thing to do is. And so, I, I'm I'm all for anyone that makes it easier for a for a, especially small retailers to get their tech back in smart. That's very very cool. Right. right. Our mantra has really been keep it simple, keep it easy, make it uh, uh, really simple to build too. You don't have to worry about extra fees or extra IT department calls or any of that stuff. We just take care of it. Love that. That's very cool. And Ashley, tell me about Sparkplug. Yeah, so Sparkplug is our weekly podcast. We're actually now in our third season, and we're pretty proud of the fact that we haven't. Thank you. Thank you. We got well done. Third on season. You, this is my this this is my first season of retailistic. I'm not sure I'll last until three. <laughs> I, Deborah, Deborah, one of us will will hurt each other or fire each other. I'm sure of it. <laughs> uh, I think you'll get there. I think you're you're doing a great job. Um, but yeah, we're pretty proud of the fact that we um, have not missed a week since we first launched. Um, we actually started in the middle of COVID. I think our first um, podcast episode was with an internal staff member who had um, interviewed several independent retail owners, uh, retail shop owners, 
about how COVID was impacting them. I mean, I think this was months into COVID and what they were doing to be innovative and, and uh, survive that time. And ever since then, we've interviewed retail experts, technology experts, as well as entrepreneurs and small business owners. So it's been a, it's been a really wonderful project that we're, uh, we're so happy to continue. I, I adore the fact that you started it in COVID. You know, I'm so, I feel like I'm so often saying, oh, wow, bad timing or great timing or whatever, like, you know, sarcastically, because, you know, in the middle of COVID, it's the one time we should be bunkering down. But instead, especially in retail, it was this huge burst of creativity and people kind of thinking differently and trying new things. What are some of your favorite stories you've heard along the way? Oh, gosh. Well, I think that first episode we had uh, just learning how, all of these small business owners were being so innovative in terms of how were they going to take their physical store and make an online experience or still deliver their product, but in a new way. Um, I guess I'll just say one of the most more recent stories is just a guest that we had on our podcast recently, um, Ron Thurston, who is um, kind of a voice in retail. He wrote a book called Retail Pride, and now he's on this um, year-long Airstream adventure throughout America, <laughs> talking with independent uh, business owners along the way. And so it was just fun. I mean, like you're saying, it, he um, took this time to go out and talk to people rather than kind of, um, you know, just stay indoors now that we can get out a little bit. So he's collecting all of these stories throughout America of small businesses. So um, we've just gotten to talk to some fascinating people. I adore that. And Ron's a friend of the podcast. In fact, he was on last week's episode. So oh, he's, uh, we know his stories very well. And it doesn't, I'm always constantly jealous. I don't know about you, but every time I talk to him, he's got a different, beautiful background of some national park exactly. behind him. And I'm, <laughs> I kind of want to leap through the camera and just yell at him uh, with complete envy. Um, Ned, I, I want to, I was at Shop Talk this year um, and there was this, there were constant conversations about, well, I mean, there was a conversation about lots of different things, but in the summary at the end of the show, they put up a slide that said, you know, one thing we've learned this year is loyalty is the gateway to personalization. And right. you know, personalization has been that thing that's, you know, that carrot dangling in front of retailers for a long time that we know there's something there, but we don't know quite how to execute on it beautifully. And more importantly, we're petrified of getting, you know, too far down that pathway and becoming that creepy brand that everyone talks about on on social media. What are you you know this this is the area you play in, right? So that what do you what's your view on this kind of use of loyalty as a as a as a gateway entry to to true personalization? Right. Well, I'd love to kind of promote our product and how we do it, but I I think it's more interesting actually to speak about what we've learned through the podcast. So, you know, talking to people like Paula Thompson who who has her podcast Let's talk loyalty, talking to Dana Telsey of um, CNBC and the tag group, and then talking to individual small retailers. You know, you go from elephants to ants. You go from this uh, Steve Dennis or, or Dana Telsey who are working with uh, retailers moving millions of dollars a year to, to a small retailers in Wisconsin who has a single location. And what's fascinating is you learn from both ends of that, and you learn so much about how loyalty really matters and what it takes to get someone to come back to your store. And at the end of the day, it's all about the experience. Will that consumer come back and enjoy what they had the first time so much that they're going to return? You know, it's a simple thing, but the ambience matters. 
the smiles on your face matter. The uh, the stock and how, how it's arranged matters. All those little details create this, this marvelous immersive experience. And I think uh, for us, the reason that we started with that, that research that Ashley mentioned was that the research was about a particular retail district in Olympia, Washington, that had created an Olympia Downtown Alliance and really emphasized store experiences that were unique to themselves. So you go to Olympia, you visit Archibald Sisters, Pop and Jay, Compass Rose, um, Chelsea Farms, Oyster House. I mean, you can tell just by the names. These are unique places. They aren't the McDonald's of the world. I mean, I'm not casting aspersions on McDonald's, but it's all the same. And these, these individual stores are so unique that every time you go in there, you get a different experience. So you're loyal because you know your experience is going to be um, is going to make the day the day memorable. And so you want to build memories as you go back to these retail locations. So being able to go between these these large players who have big ideas like Ron Thurston to individual retailers has been such a a a master's degree in learning how retail functions. And it, it's been such a pleasure doing the podcast because we get to have those conversations on a weekly basis. I adore that. I mean, and then I, I can only imagine, like, again, recommend it to, to our listeners to, uh, you know, Sparkplug. It is It does get into those conversations where you can take lessons out. That's the thing that I like the most about it. It's like that idea that you can, it's not just a cool conversation that's going to, you know, over, over a cocktail at dinner. It's actually like, this is what I did and this is how I do stuff. And, you know, and actually I'll throw that to you actually, because there is so much about personalization and loyalty programs, et cetera, that is incredibly daunting. And especially to like a smaller brand, um, you know, it, it can be a space where you you can do a ton of research and still feel relatively uninformed. Mm-hmm. What's the best starting point? Like, where should I begin um, if I'm thinking about loyalty in my retail business? Like, wh- how should I how should I frame it for me that that will work for my me and my brand? Sure. As we've been having our conversations, I feel like a lot of what we've talked about around loyalty is the fact that it's about the experience. What experience is your shopper having? at your business. And that's really the place to start. What experience are you creating for your consumers? Um, how are you engaging them? Consumer engagement and, con- and or excuse me, uh, customer engagement and customer loyalty really do go hand in hand. So it's about how are you engaging your customer when they come in the shop? How are you greeting them? What communication are you having with your consumer outside of your shop? And there are many different programs you can use to connect with your shoppers um, outside of your physical store. So how are you inviting them in? How are you letting them know that you have new inventory? Um, I think that's a, a big, I think that's where it begins is thinking about what experience are your shoppers having with your business? Um, and then what technology tools can you use to learn about your customer? Um, There are many ways you can collect customer information and then analyze that data to figure out, um, you know, how, who are your most loyal shoppers and then how are you going to reward them for being loyal to you? How are you going to incentivize them to come back? Um, What decisions can you make about staffing and inventory based on the consumer data that you have? Um, So I think that's a lot of where we've been talking with people about where to start building a loyalty program and where to start thinking about loyalty for your business. 
I think like, and you make a really interesting point about data because like it's one of those things where it is, um, we have a lot of it. Like retailers collect just such an incredible amount of, of, of data. How well we use it is a very different story. Um, and how, how, how much we align it. Ned, what's your advice to people around data itself? Like how do we make the most of what we've got and how do we kind of remove that scary factor of, of using data and exposing it in a way that changes an experience for a customer? Right. And you make a really good point that the data is only as good as how you can use it, right? Um, so having too much data is almost a worse problem than not having enough. So what we've done with our products, and this is part of our product market fit, was we actually distill up the key points that any retailer needs to know every week. And, um, or, and you can even refine that to, to every day. What's your slow time on Tuesdays? What's your hot time on Thursdays? Who's coming back? Uh, do you have a younger crowd on Fridays? Do you have an older crowd on Sundays? And being able to analyze that, we, we realized if we did the heavy lifting of sorting that out and providing people visibility, they used what we gave them instead of mining in. Most people don't want to be data monkeys. People don't want to dive into the data. Even though there's, there's gold there, it's hard to understand for people who don't live and breathe data. So uh, being able to find a vendor who can distill up the actual outcomes for you like Snowshoe has done can be really helpful. There are a number of people out there who can do that. Um, another thing to keep in mind too is that it doesn't have to be technological. You know, people think, oh, I need a, I need a whole computer system. I need a mobile app. I need all this. You know, it's sometimes good enough to just have a, a pad by your register where you check mark, like, oh yeah, this is somebody under 18. This is somebody over 30. This is somebody over 65, right? And it can be very rough. But then you can get a sense of what your demographic is. And so often people lose sight of the analog tools that we already have. And they lose sight of the fact that you have a really smart person behind the counter. The reason you know they're really smart is you hired them, right? So you trust them. And so trust them to have eyes on your customers. Trust them to be able to give you insights. That's your best data. If you can actually have a conversation with a customer and a customer says, you know what? I come in here because my wife is next door buying chocolate. So I always come in here because you guys have, you know, great tchotchkes. I'm like, heck, maybe I should do a promotion with the chocolate shop. Like that's good data. That's better data than you would ever learn by analyzing rows in a database. So using that anecdotal data and using analog information can really be a great view into your customers. I, uh, oh, Ned, Ned, you are you are speaking my language. I am uh, the the analog story stuff is really interesting because if the more we, you know, our frontline teams are literally the face of the brand, and the fact that we don't trust them and we put all these rules and regulations around how they are meant to do things based on our assumptions, which is going to be come from credit card statements or swipes of a positive as opposed to actual human interactions. I was almost going to go on a rant about demographic data and age being a useless measure, but I'm not going to today. Uh, it's <laughs> Friday. We should be happier than that. I'm going to share a story instead quickly, if I can, that I think you'll enjoy it. You'll both enjoy. Um, I was talking to a guy called um, Kendall Jolly was his name. He's a fabulous human being. At the time, he was working for Disney Corporation. Um, and he was telling me this story about one of the greatest customer experience innovations that they'd had at their theme parks was actually from the frontline team. And it was entirely analog. And the problem they were facing were at the end of the day, uh, I don't know if you guys have been to, to a Disney World or a Disneyland property, but you know, at the end of the day, you can definitely tell it's the end of the day because all of the parents look tired and grumpy, all the children are screaming uh, and barely awake, and most people forgot where they parked. 
So they came out of the park and they were like, holy moly, this is the world's largest car park and I have no idea where I parked my car. And Kendall was telling me this story that, you know, a, a member of the team decided that they're just going to carry a pad with them and they'll be able to go, you know, write down at which, which part of the car park they were parking at each 15-minute increment. So that Because most people, if there's one thing that they can remember is what time they arrived. So all they had to do was when they come out, hey, we've lost our car, no worries, what time did you arrive? All right, we were parking Aladdin 16. So right. pop over to Aladdin 16 and you'll be able to find your car there somewhere. A beautiful um, finish to a day of customer experience uh, at a Disney property, entirely analog and entirely dreamt up from the front line. Mm. <laughs> cool story. Yeah. Um, uh, I uh, now want to pivot to just more more. Uh, general retail conversation, if that's okay. Uh, loyalty is incredibly important. Don't get me wrong, as is data. Um, but you guys speak with a heap of people, you know, and you started in the midst of COVID. What are um, you think the biggest um, changes that are here to stay in retail that's happened over since the COVID change event? I'll start with you, Ashley. I don't know if that's unfair or not. Sorry. Right. No, absolutely. <laughs> Well, we talk a lot about, since we're a retail and technology podcast, we talk a lot about the um, the sped up evolution of technology in retail. So I definitely think that is here to stay. The integration of various technologies into the physical retail space. Um, and then another thing that's been really fascinating to me is this um, focus on a consumer-centric retail approach. So um, more customizable, uh, brands listening to their consumers more and then designing their experience around what consumers are saying and consumer preferences. And uh, I, I think that like that's a key there. I mean, because we talk a lot about how we live in a world of e-commerce and one hour delivery. So how are brands going to compete with that kind of convenience? Well, if they're responding to cons uh, consumer preferences and creating a really memorable experience, that's how they compete. And I, I think that will, I think that's definitely here to stay. And it's something that really um, sped up during, ever since COVID, I think consumers having more of an influence on how brands do their business. Um, I think that's definitely here to stay. That's so interesting, and I want to bring you both in now, actually, to help me help me win a win a debate with Deborah. Um, do, do we fight every week about this factor. No, we don't. To be fair, we actually just we we agree, but we seem to be do it whilst do it whilst yelling at each other. Um, there is so much to consume, like trained consumer behavior nowadays. Like I expect deliveries to be quick. I expect them to be you know, as soon as possible at my doorstep, et cetera. I expect returns to be either picked up from my place or somewhere else that's, you know, always going to be ship, ship, ship. I can return 30% of my orders and it's no problem. Um, at what point do either retailers step up and say, no, that's not sustainable in most uh, um, uh, definitions of that term, or consumers actually have that pivot point? Do you think one of those two things will happen first or is it just it's here to stay that we we need to come up with other ways that we can make that sustainable this might be an unfair introduction of another question i did promise you questions outside of the, sp the scope of our intro so you what can i say except you're welcome <laughs> right so so one of the things that we've heard repeatedly is that both uh, shoppers and merchants want want sustainability 
Like shoppers really, really want to shop a sustainable brand. They're willing to pay a premium for it. They, they are really willing to go to the mat to buy something that they feel is sourced ethically, that has ongoing re, re, reusability and, and something that isn't just going to be a, a throwaway good. Um, by the same token, merchants are also uh, building to accommodate this desire. I mean, people are, are increasingly exposing their supply chains. That's one thing that COVID demonstrated to us, the importance of supply chains and kind of unraveling a supply chain and what that looks like on the other end. So I think that's here to stay. And this, this idea that consumers don't really care where it comes from or where it's going afterwards, I think that's gone to the rubbish heap. And so that's a lovely thing, but that also means that um, uh, brands need to be more responsive to this over time. And so whether that's a direct-to-consumer brand or whether that's a, a large wholesaler or an individual retailer, being able to trace through uh, where your work came from and where it's going next is, is absolutely key. I mean, I think of that Portlandia episode where uh, they're introduced to a chicken and they say, oh, this chicken's name was Fred, and this chicken's cousins were so-and-so, and he lives down the road on this farm. Would you like this chicken tonight? Well, we laugh about it, but when somebody goes into a shoe store, they ask the same questions. And so I think that's going to be here for a long time to come. And I think the more that we can support that, the better world we build. I, uh, I actually only got into Portlandia after visiting Portland for the first time. Um, and it was amazing. And I'm glad that I did it that way, I think, because you know, it made it feel somewhat less satirical um, and a little bit more, more documentary. Um, kidding, obviously. Um, <laughs> I, I love Portland, FYI. Um, I think that's a really interesting point. Now, I'm going to push back on one part, though, if I may. I didn't say this this interview would be easy. Um, the the point of like humans do say that like we're really bad at predicting our future behaviors though. Right. So we all we all answer a survey and say I am absolutely committed to green. I am absolutely committed to reducing the amount of meat I eat. I'm absolutely committed to not taking two day shipping because we're not projecting ourselves into the future with context. We're projecting ourselves into the future which is a white box where nothing else is happening around it. So that week, you know, my tire blew. I had to spend an extra thousand dollars on tires. And all of a sudden, I can't afford to spend that little bit of extra money on a sustainable good or, you know, I need this thing for work. So I do want to get this two-day shipping. So we're seeing this incredible lag behind action and, beha and desired behavior. Um, how, are you, how are you reading that? Yeah, yeah, totally agree with you in terms of standard human behavior. And we saw the same sort of thing uh, with organic foods. Um, and it took decades for the organic food push to be there. And now it's there. Every grocery store, you go to Kroger's, you go to Fred Meyer in the US um, and, and you see organic foods and they cost a little more and they're selling really well, but it took 30 years to get there. So I'm not saying that's here as a, a felt reality for most people today, but I think the fact that the conversation is in the air and the people keep asking the question, I think that's going to gradually cause a sea change in the industry. Um, and we're, we're even seeing this with small retailers, that they're beginning to promote something as sustainable. And so I think over time, we're going to see more and more brands just embrace that as a given. I, I agree. I do agree with that. And I think it's, it's really interesting watching the different markets change. So like Europe obviously has legislated pretty heavily in this space. Um, and especially around data, actually, we'd love to pick your brains about what's going on in Europe and data, but we'll, we'll see if we've got time. But the, you know, the, that incredibly legislated side, my home country, Australia, has just passed the legislation to reduce emissions by 43% with some pretty heavy targets for retailers, um, especially around delivery. 
Um, and of course, plastic bags have been banned for five, six years or so. Um, you know, the US is a little bit more of a laggard. It much prefers to allow market forces, natural market forces to make the change. So you're talking there, Ned, am I right to hearing, I'm hearing from you that you think those market forces are starting to happen here and the winds will pick up soon? Yeah, absolutely. I, I really see that happening. We had a great conversation with a, um, uh, shoot, what was her name, Ashley? A, 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 um, a person who has helped to shape uh, California policy around sustainability this year. Um, yeah. Yeah. And she, uh, she was fantastic in terms of helping us unpack uh, what synthetics mean, what plastics mean, and how small retailers can know the difference. Um, I think I think that's very cool. I mean, and I think you're right. The more little voices that start getting louder and louder, the bigger the impact that that's going to have. Um, all right. Well, I, I, what it, I'm going to pull you out of your comfort zone a little bit. What uh, actually? What trends in retail? It doesn't have to be technology. I go on rants all the time that we always conflate innovation with technology, and it's ridiculous. Technology is an enabler of innovation at best. Uh, innovation is the idea itself and what you're creating. What are you? What are you most excited about that's coming down the pipe? The pipeline. Tough question, I know. No, it's a tough. I just insert Jeopardy music here or thinking <laughs> music here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess I am. I mean, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is kind of how we are going to approach sustainability. So not to stay on that exact same topic, but I I am curious to see how we continue to approach sustainability in retail because I think brands are going to like they're already showing some very creative solutions to that problem and they're starting I, I guess I'm also from a marketing perspective seeing how um, seeing how brands are talking about their sustainability which actually makes me think of one more thing. Do you know what I actually saw recently? It's, it, so it was a Victoria's Secret ad and it was about how it showed um, models who look much more like real people. <laughs> and they very specifically message themselves as we're new, where this is us, this is our new face and we're, we're committed to this. So actually, yeah, this, this is going to be my answer <laughs> to strike the first <laughs> Um, a trend in, um, showing real people and, um, more, um, I guess the celebration of real bodies and, um, what it means to, um, just be a real person and, um, rather than, uh, kind of contributing to like body shaming or an unrealistic, um, standard. Um, I am seeing more and more of that. And it was just a very interesting marketing campaign from Victoria's Secret that was so direct. So, I mean, it was very, very specific and it spoke directly to probably something they've been hearing from their consumers for a very long time. I think that example is fantastic and, and powerful too. I, I would have loved that they came up with that before their backs were against the wall and needed to come up with a way to get out of there. Yeah. But I still love that they did it. And I and I, I think that the there are, there is more of that to come. I was in a Target actually. It's been it's been a while since I've cried in a Target, uh, but I nearly teared up when I was in one the other day, and I saw their new campaign ads in the kids' clothing section, which essentially had kids that were modelling fashion 
who had different accessibility needs, who had different ways of, um, of you know representing and sharing their identity through clothing, through target products. And, you know, it was just, it was beautiful. Like it didn't take anything away from, and it doesn't feel like anything was missing. It just felt real. And it was a really lovely, warm feeling. It was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Just showing, showing that diversity and showing people of different um, uh, accessibility, uh, showing accessibility and making, making products and brands more accessible. I mean, it even makes me think like you walk into a target now during June and Pride products are all over. I mean, that's probably that something new within the last few years. And um, so, yeah, I, I hope we continue to march in a direction of uh, inclusiveness and accessibility. Yeah. Love. I totally agree with Ashley. If I could just address the question about some of the uh, technological updates that we've seen. I think that's a societal update that Ashley mentioned that I, I, I applaud. If I could speak to a couple of the technical trends as well, Andrew. Go for it. Please do. Sure. So on the podcast over the past uh, few seasons, we've heard about uh, three or four things that are really intriguing. One is a live stream shopping, uh, a company called Shop Shops uh, with Tiffany Shi um, introduced us to this concept. And now we're hearing about it everywhere where they actually send somebody on a live stream into a store. And of course, they preset it up with the retail establishment. But in the live stream, you can buy what they're seeing. So they'll turn to the hat shelf and say, hey, here's some burgundy ones. Uh, here's some uh, green ones. Uh, and the green ones are really attractive. You put on the green one and you can actually click on the live stream and buy it right there in real time. That's an amazing uh, kind of uh, marriage of real in-store experience along with something digital where you can do it at 11 o'clock at night, you know, in your time zone, and yet they're shopping in Hong Kong in their time zone, right? And so that live stream shopping, I think that's a, a bridge between being remote and being present. A second way to kind of bridge that gap is uh, augmented reality shopping. And that can happen both in-store and that can happen both in a remote location that you can actually get more information about the goods in the store through augmented reality. And I, I think that's much more actually interesting to me than uh, Mark Zuckerberg's big idea of meta and the metaverse, because I think we actually move through physical reality. I know, call me crazy, but we move through physical reality. <laughs> so if we can augment that a little bit, or we can get more information on what we're experiencing, that will be an be additive. And I often see metaverse experiences actually uh, detracting from, from, from reality rather than adding to it. And the third thing I just emphasize, which we've seen in spades, especially with the Apple announcement this week of tap to pay, is that just-in-time shopping. You order online, you pick up in store or you order and you, you don't have to do much to pay to get out of there. And Snowshoe is really riding that wave of, of building loyalty, even if the purchase experience is minimal, you can still have a loyalty function through our Spark Loyalty app. And so the, um, the ability to, to buy and immediately get it at a physical store, that came in with COVID, that ain't going away. Uh, what a great summary, Ned. Um, that first, uh, like that, your metaverse rant in there, I uh, couldn't agree more. I'm with you 100%. 
the idea of, I think the problem that I always have is that we try, everyone tries to talk in absolutes. So they're like, all right, the metaverse is coming. It's going to take over. It's like, no, it's not. Don't be ridiculous. That's like saying malls are going to take over. High streets are going to die. Well, guess what happened? There was a blended approach because people different had different needs at different times of the week. I might be a mall shopper on Monday and I might want to be a, a strip shopper on Saturday, or I might want to be in the metaverse on Sunday night. Who knows? Um, they're all additive, a beautiful word. I'm going to steal it. It's going to become mine. Um, they are all additive. I, I think that's fantastic. I, I hereby gift the word to you. How's that? Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's recorded and everything. So you can't come for me with your lawyers. They can back off. Um, no, that's brilliant. You guys have been so much fun and so smart. Two smart humans. Thank you very, very much for joining us. How do people find you both or uh, and find and learn more about um, Snowshoe and all the things that you do? And of course, the, the Spark Pug podcast as well. Sure. So uh, the podcast is at sparkplug.audio. And as Ashley mentioned, we're live weekly. Um, and then uh, our corporate website is snowshoe.io, where you can find out more about the solutions that our company produces. Love that. I need to I need to know before you go, why snowshoe? So Ashley, do you want to take that one? Or I love that you're both laughing at this. I'm really now even more excited by the story. It's either <laughs> going to be incredible or really boring. Well, okay. So, so the short version, and Ashley, you can add details here, but the short version is that the original technology that Snowshoe has is a, um, a capacitive stamp that can put a unique pattern or an imprint on any capacitive touchscreen, whether that's a phone or an iPad or whatever. And so they were thinking, what actually makes an imprint on things? Oh, a Snowshoe actually does that. And so Just a normal that, shoe? Normal shoes also yeah. do it? No, I'm just Yeah, kidding. but a Snowshoe, <laughs> you, know, you can leave your, your, your imprint behind. Um, but uh, yeah, so so that's how how the name came about. That's a really cool story. I, I actually, there you go. I, I, I that was that ten out of ten for the naming conventions. Plus, shoe.com probably wasn't available. Um, thank you both so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Uh, you have a great rest of the day, and, and thank you for ending your week with me. Thank you so much, Andrew, for having us. We really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. What a fabulous conversation. Thank you both again, uh, Ashley and Ned, for joining us. Uh, uh, this has been another episode of Retailistic. I hope you enjoyed it. We've delved into everything again. I went on too many rants, I'm sure of it, but Ashley and Ned were both great humans uh, and uh, and uh, uh, obliged me, which was always welcomed. Um, as always, please uh, like and subscribe uh, our podcast, Retailistic, wherever you get your podcasts. That helps us find uh, new listeners as well, especially if you rate us. Uh, I've heard five stars is a great way to go, but hey, who knows? I'll leave it up to you. Um, thank you again to uh, Drew Burrows for producing this episode. Until next week, I'm Andrew Smith. Thanks for listening to Retailistic. <laughs>